Last week we left off with Deuteronomy chapter 4, and a lot, lot of that chapter was the subject of idolatry. That kind of gives us a picture of the subject of idolatry before they enter into the land of Canaan. And then I want you to turn, well you don't have to turn there, but I'm going to go to Jeremiah chapter 2. This gives us a picture of what happened after all those years. You remember God warned them of idolatry and the problem that it would cause. In Jeremiah 2, Jeremiah is speaking to a people that are going to go into captivity largely because of idolatry. Jeremiah 2 Verse 11, here at the back end we see Jeremiah says, Hath a nation changed its gods, which are yet no gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which doth not profit. Be astonished, O ye heavens, at this, and be horribly afraid. Be ye very desolate, saith the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. And these two evils that he mentions here are those that we saw, or that we see in the, we'll see tonight as we look at the Ten Commandments, those first two of the Ten Commandments. You shall have no gods before me and not make any graven images. In verse 13 he says, My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. He's referring there to idolatry. He said not only they have rejected me, but they've gone after other idols that they thought would take care of them or were taking care of them. That's those cisterns that, that were hewn out. And they thought that, that was what was taking care of them. But uh, I thought it was interesting to think about that and we see that, uh, that picture there again as, as we look at the nation of Judah on the back end of what happened. I want to uh, <clears throat> go over some warnings here uh, before we get into chapter 5. These are warnings that you will see throughout the book of Deuteronomy. I'm going to list about nine of these, and you may have some to add to this. If you do, see me later or next week or whatever and add, add to this, this list if you'd like. But some of the warnings that you'll see woven throughout the book, and it's like a thread. I want you to think about each of these maybe as a, as a different colored thread that weaves its way throughout the book. And we don't see it in just one chapter. We see this throughout the, ch- the book. First, they lack the fear of God. Uh, we'll see that uh, tonight, actually, in chapter 5. They are warned that they would fear man, particularly the inhabitants of the land of Canaan. God says, don't fear these people. I have already given you the land. We've talked about in previous weeks they would forget their past, they are warned about forgetting who they are, what people they are. They're the chosen people of God. Exodus 19 that we studied says uh, he separated them out as a kingdom of priests unto himself, a holy people. They were warned that they would forget God himself and forget his commandments. They really can't separate the two. They would forget God. They would forget his word and his commandments. The idolatry we studied last week, all this including images and the likeness of any creature. We'll study again this week about neglecting their children. We'll see that uh, several times throughout the book. Becoming self-reliant. I think we'll see that, touch on that topic next week. Becoming self-reliant. Thinking that what they had, the blessings they had were due to their own doing. 
And then the last one, that they would become self-righteous. All of these he warns them over and over again. And, and like if you could imagine these being each a different color thread. And as they weave their way throughout the book, you'll see them again and again. And you can pick out that color. You'll see that color. We'll try to note those as we, as we go throughout the, the book. We are beginning tonight in this middle section, chapter 5 through 26, where we're restating the covenant laws. He's restating a lot of what we've seen and saw in the, the book of Exodus, but with some added commentary, with added exhortations, added warnings to go along with it. As we've said before, he's preaching a sermon. He's, for instance, in chapter 5, he's going to outline the Ten Commandments, but he's also going to add some commentary along with that. So this is the section that we're in starting tonight. This covers the, the bulk of the middle part of the book. Deuteronomy chapter 5. All right, let's go over the questions on chapter 5. To whom did Moses say this covenant was given? Israel. Israel. Not to our fathers, but to us it has been given. We'll go on to that in just a moment. Describe Israel's reaction to the presence of God in the mount. They were afraid. They were afraid, weren't they? And state God's response to their fear. They had done well. Okay. How could they prolong their days in the land? Be obedient. Observe these things. Don't turn aside. Walk in them. All right, Deuteronomy chapter 5. Remember the covenant at Sinai. This is what Moses is laying out for them. Remember the covenant at Sinai and what happened there. In chapter 5, verse 1, Moses called unto all Israel and said unto them, O Israel, hear the statutes, the ordinances which I speak in your ears this day, that you may learn them and observe to do them. It's interesting, uh, a parallel here. Now, I may forget to say this, but chapter 6, verse 1 starts out the same way. And it reminds me a little bit of what we call the Great Commission in Matthew 28, verse 18 through 20 where he also says there at the end, teach these, these things are my commandments, teach them that they may keep them and observe them. That's an interesting parallel there. But verse 2, he continues, the Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb, or Mount Sinai. He didn't make it with our fathers. And I think that to be referring to our patriarchal fathers, such as Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's saying that God made this covenant with us who are alive here this day, you might reference chapter 4, verse 31, the covenant of the, of the fathers that he is speaking of there. And uh, with us, he made this covenant. Those of us who are alive this day, the Lord spake with you face to face in the mount out of the midst of the fire. I stood between you. Now, some of your versions may have this in a parenthetical phrase in verse 5. I stood between you because of what reason? Their fear. Now, we're going to talk about that more in just a moment. <clears throat> but Moses introduces this idea. I want to take you back to Mount Sinai. Recall what happened there. And I want to take you back there in your mind. Some of them here were alive at that time. Those that were 20 and under were alive at that time. They saw these things. 
But he says, I, I stood between you and the Lord at that time to show you the word of the Lord, for you were afraid, verse 5, because of the fire and went not up into the mountain. Sometimes we talk about the magnificent event that uh, occurred with the parting of the Red Sea and how that would have just been glorious to behold. And I think like, probably just as equal to that is the view and the sound and the feeling, the thunders, all of that that occurred at the foot of Mount Sinai. Obviously, these people were afraid. Now, he goes on into the Ten Commandments from there. This is what God gave you in Exodus 20. And he outlines this pretty much uh, identical to that. There's a few little changes here and there. We're not going to go into those in detail. But notice, too, that we have been over already, even tonight. Verse 6, I am the Lord thy God who brought thee out of the land of Egypt. Notice, again, he's reminding them what we left off talking about last week. I am the God who brought thee out of Egypt. I have blessed you, redeemed you. Has any God ever done such for his people as your God has done for you? Verse 7, you have no gods before me. And then verse 8, the problem of idolatry. Now let's go on down uh, as we look down at the Ten Commandments a little bit further down. Verse 15, talking about the... <clears throat> idea of the Sabbath day that he mentions in verse 12. Verse 15 is a little variant from the reading that we see in Exodus 20. Verse 15 he adds, and you will remember that you were a servant in the land of Egypt. In Exodus 20 verse 11 he mentions the idea that the Sabbath day giving it a little meaning to them he mentions there about the days of creation. God rested on the seventh day. So he wanted them to observe the Sabbath day in honor of that particular uh, event. Now here in Deuteronomy, he gives it a little bit different flavor by adding the idea to that, that you will remember on the Sabbath day that you were a servant in the land of Egypt, verse 15. And the Lord thy God brought thee out by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord thy God commanded thee to keep the Sabbath day. So that's a little variant there from what we saw in Exodus. Now, as we continue on, we're going to go on down to uh, verse 22. Verse 22 through 27, he picks back up with his idea that we started in verse 5, the idea that you were afraid at the foot of Mount Sinai. The sight, the sounds, and the feeling that you saw there made you afraid. Now, he picks up with that idea here in verse 22. These words the Lord spake unto all your assembly in the mount, out of the midst of the fire, of the cloud, of the thick darkness, with a great voice. And he added no more. He wrote them on two tables of stones and gave them unto me. And going down to uh, verse 25, they said, Now, therefore, why should we die? They're responding to Moses. Why should we get closer to God? We've, we are afraid. Why should we die? For this great fire, verse 25, will consume us if we hear the voice of the Lord our God anymore. Then we shall die. For who is there of all flesh that hath heard the voice of the living God speaking out of the midst of the fire as we have and live? Who's ever come this close to God and lived? 
So they say, verse 27, Moses, you go near. You hear what God has to say. And then you come back and <clears throat> talk to us yourself. So I think in verse 23 through verse 27, Moses is outlining the idea to them that this is not simply a review of the Ten Commandments. But in addition to that, Moses is going back to that time saying, do you remember your reaction when you saw the power of God upon that mount? The fire and the thunders. You were afraid. You even said in verse 25, why should we die? You go, Moses, and talk to God, and you come back and, and tell us what he said. <clears throat> Moses is, I think, telling them the fear of God at that time was fresh in your mind. It was very fresh. So much so that when in Exodus 24, they said, we will do all that God has said. We will do it. They were anxious to obey God and do his will. But a few days later, what happened? Not too many days later. In Exodus 32, what did they do? Some of them rejected God, didn't they? Like, let us make gods. It's about a golden calf. Verse 28. The Lord heard the voice of your words when you said unto me at that time. Uh, that this is hearkening back. Maybe you, it would be good to go briefly back to Exodus chapter 20. A note here, if you want to go back and look at this later, Exodus 20, verse 18, I think is particularly what he's honing in on. Exodus 20, verse 18, all the people perceived the thunders, the lightnings, the voice of the trumpet, and so forth, as they were drawing near, uh, or as God was speaking to them. And Moses here is elaborating on that particular event, it seems. So as we go back to Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 28, Moses picks up and says, The Lord heard the voice of your words when you said unto me, I have heard the voice of the words of this people, which have spoken unto thee. They have well said all that they have spoken. Oh, that there were a heart in them that they would do what? Continue to fear me. Continue. Oh, that there were a heart in them that they would continue to have that Freshness of fear that is in them as they are at the foot of Mount Sinai. For God sees that if that would, were to be instilled in them and they would keep that, that they would obey. Verse 29, oh, that there were such a heart in them that they would fear me and always, or that it, and all my commandments always, that it might be well with them and with their children forever. Now tell them to go to their tents, verse 30, and you come to me, I have more to say. Verse 32, he says, you shall observe to do all the Lord your God hath commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right or the left, walk in them, walk in the ways God commanded, verse 33, that you may live. It's for your good. And when you get into the land, he says, verse 33, by doing so, you will prolong your days. You will be there. If not, what's the opposite of not obeying? At some point, it's captivity, isn't it? 
Now let's think about this idea here, the freshness of fear. Verse 28 through 31, we saw there, verse 29 in particular, God desires a heart of fear. He said, oh, that there were a heart in them that they would continue to have that freshness of fear that they had when they were at the foot of Mount Sinai. And he's telling this generation, if you will, you need to be instilled with that fear of God once again. Now, God's not going to come down like he did at Mount Sinai. And he's not going to come to you and I today in that same way. So how can we today have that freshness of fear that would cause us to obey? As verse 29 says, that we would always keep his statutes and his commandments, that it might be well with us forever. How can we have that same type of fear today? We have to remember. We have to go back and read books like Deuteronomy, don't we? We have to go back and look at the cross. What else? What else can we do today that would cause us to have that godly fear? We have to know our God. We have to know our God. And we know our God by studying, meditating, and praying. I don't know that there's any better way that we can come to know Him better than those things right there, is there? We have to know Him better. We have to study, meditate, and pray. And the more we do that, the more we do that, the more we fear God, and the more we're equipped and ready to have that godly fear that would cause us to obey His commandments, not just today, but every day and throughout our life. No, we can't be at Mount Sinai. We can't see the things that they saw there. And we can't live at a time when Christ died on the cross for our sins. But can we see that? By faith. By faith. We can see that by faith. So seeing that by faith, that freshness, seeing that in our minds by faith should instill that freshness of fear once again with us so that we may obey and fear to have the godly fear that we would keep his commandments always and it might be well with us. Briefly, I want to go back to chapter 4, verse 10 as well to see what we're expanding on the idea Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 10 that we saw last week. In the day that thou stood before the Lord thy God in Horeb, when the Lord said unto me, Assemble the people, I will make them hear my words, that they may learn to fear me all the days that they may live. That's chapter 5. And teach their children. That's chapter 6. We'll go there in just a moment. Any thoughts or comments on chapter 5? Yes, we have one here. Since you're saying that this same attitude should, should be ours, um, it might be worth pointing out that that's exactly the point that Hebrews 10 makes. It says, it reminds us, okay, that it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. 
And so he says, so remember your early days and everything you went through then and what you've done so far to commit yourselves to the Lord. And he says, don't throw away your confidence. It has great reward. And, he, and it says, you know, we're not the ones that shrink back to destruction, but have faith to the preserving of the souls. What Moses told the children of Israel was um, that this is so that it will go well with you, so that you may live. And that's what, exactly what the Hebrew writer is telling us. He says, remember, and he says, fear the Lord. Mm-hmm. And he continues in chapter 12 talking about that idea that suffering might be for your good always. And actually, in the, in the last part of chapter 12, he talks about the idea that you're not come to Mount Sinai, you're come to Mount Zion. Remember the, uh, the parallel there he uses? You're coming to Mount Zion, and we should, actually, the reading there in Hebrews 12 reads that we should even be more so attuned to the idea that we're coming to Mount Zion, a new... Uh, city of, well, let me go back back there. I can't remember all it has to say, but, but you uh, spurred me on to a thought there. Hebrews 12, verse 22. You come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of innumerable hosts of angels. You're not coming to uh, Mount Sinai. So these things, uh, actually verse 27 also, Hebrews 12, verse 27, yet once more signifying the removing of those things that are shaken as of things that have been made, that those things which are not shaken may remain. He's talking about the mount that shook back in Sinai. You're part of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. So all these things remind us of that fear that we should have that should be ever present in our mind. Uh, anybody else before we go on to chapter 5 or chapter 6 alright chapter 6 first question what were they to do with the words given by God write them on their hearts write them on their hearts He tells them to beware lest what happens. They forget. They forget God, verse 12. And what were they not to do to God? Somebody say tempt. Tested, tempted. How should they answer their children's question regarding the commandments? Okay. Take them back. Tell them the story of why we're here. Tell them our history. Answer their questions. Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is the commandment, verse 1, the statutes, the ordinances which the Lord your God commanded you, or commanded to teach you that you might do them in the land whether you go over to possess it, that you might fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes, his commandments which I command thee, thou, thy son. And notice... Verse 2, thy son, son, all the days of thy life that thy days may be prolonged. You may recall in chapter 4, we highlighted this. In chapter 4, verse 9, he says, you will make them known unto thy children and thy children's children. 
Hear, therefore, verse 3, O Lord, or hear, therefore, O Israel, observe to do it, that it may be well with thee, that you may increase mightily as the Lord thy God, that the God of thy fathers hath promised thee a land flowing with milk and honey. So as they're going in, God wants them to remember these things. Teach them to your children. Now, as we continue, verse, uh, well, let me pass by this right here. Just a moment, we'll get into chapter 6. Verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. Where is that quoted in the New Testament? Matthew 22, verse 37. Jesus is answering the question, one of the most important things that we should remember. And he mentions this one, and he mentions one other one, thou shalt love who? Love your neighbor as yourself. He's quoting from the book of Leviticus uh, there, I think Leviticus 19. But here is one of those commandments that Jesus recalls. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and might. If we look at that first phrase in verse 5, thou shalt love the Lord thy God. Is that a suggestion? Is it a recommendation or a little golden nugget of wisdom perhaps? This is a commandment, isn't it? It reminds me about what we see about the idea of love in Ephesians 5, that a husband is commanded to love his wife. And years go by and you fall out of love. No, God says you must love your wife. If you have fallen out of love, you need to get back in it. Parents, wives, uh, in Titus 2, wives are taught to love their husbands, love their children. They're commanded to. And in like manner, God is saying here, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God. It's a commandment. Sometimes I think we overlook that. And we look at the second part of that and don't realize that this is a command. You shall love God. So let's emphasize that as we look at verse 1 through 9. You're to love God. And we add to that the idea that with uh, all your heart, soul, and your might, everything you have, all of your being that you have, down deep in your heart, it has to come from there. The love has to come from there. You love God with all your heart, soul, and your mind. Yes, we had a comment here. Just going to refer back to Matthew 22. That's actually the way that subject came up. The question was, what is the greatest commandment? It was, thou shalt love the Lord thy God, and he quoted from this passage. So okay. states there that it's a commandment. Mm-hmm. Greatest commandment. And he, he, he gave them the commandment, didn't he? These words, verse 6, I command thee this day shall be upon thy heart. He emphasizes that once again. They have to be on the heart for us to be able to do these as we've talked about. 
And you will teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when thou sittest in thy house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. And it goes on into the idea here that you would teach the word diligently to your children. It shall be such a part of your life that just common everyday activities, you bring up God. You're washing the dishes, you bring up God to your children. You're doing the clothes, you bring up God. You're in the car traveling, you bring up God, you talk about God. Just normal everyday activities. You're working together with your children, bring up God, you talk about God. Everyday activities. Now, I would add to that, that uh, certainly uh, there is time for structured teaching as well. And we can't simply slough it off on the teachers here when you bring your children to class here. That is a very good thing. But we can't just say, well, I'm going to take my children to classes and that should suffice. There's much more to teaching our children than simply bringing up God in conversation, bringing up God, allowing children to come here in classes. I would suggest to you that teaching has to be structured as well. I've seen too many children that have attended Bible classes for many, many years that have gone, have left the church, quite frankly, that have been in Bible classes every week over and over. And I'm not saying there is a guarantee that you can guarantee something at home but I do think there is something you can do to help and ensure that you, they've got a lot better chance of maintaining their faith throughout their years than just simply telling them to go to Bible class. That is good, again, but it's not. We need to do more than that. We see here in verse 7, here it is what is pictured as a daily thing. Daily activities. And I would go even further and suggest to you that if you're not having structured Bible studies at home, maybe you need to think about doing that because that is such a benefit to your children. If you could just spend 18 minutes a day with your children, think about the Cumulative effect that that would have after 18 years, 18 minutes a day for 18 years, it has untold benefits, immeasurable dividends that it pays. And again, I'm not guaranteeing that this is a 100% way of proving or, or making sure that your children will be faithful. But you know, also after you teach your children that long for 18 minutes every day for 18 years you know who else learns beside the besides the children the parents do Ephesians chapter 6 verse 4 we'll go a step further the burden is put and the responsibility is put upon who the fathers. 
Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Fathers, we need to be responsible, take accountability for this, that our children are taught and taught at home. Let's teach them, and teach them right out of the Bible. You can use other books too, but teach them the Word of God. Early. How early? Very early. When they're a few months old, well, they can't understand. They can't understand what we're saying. Well, that goes back to the idea mom and dad need to be doing Bible study too. There's nothing that can strengthen a marriage as much as Bible study and praying together. Even when the kids are grown and out of the house, mom and dad need to be studying the Bible together, praying together. There's nothing that would strengthen marriage more than something like this. So fathers, let's take responsibility. We must do this. It's not a guarantee. It's not a guarantee at all. Every day. What happens when they have uh, things that get in the way? They have ball, ball games, they have activities at school and so forth. Those things get in the way, and we get in late at night, we get in at 9 o'clock, or we get in at 10 o'clock. Well, let's sit down and at least say a prayer. Let's do something together. It's too many times what happens is things interrupt, things distract, and we get off out of our habit. Let's get back on the habit. Let's do. Let's don't let things distract us. It's daily. It's very important. Part of our habit in our daily lives that we teach our children. And I want to go back to verse 2, the last part of verse 2. If we diligently do this, if we diligently teach our children so well, verse 2, I think he's indicating that it will carry through to the next generation. Teach them so well. Teach You teach your children so well, he says, that they will teach their children. Now, that's a lesson, isn't it? There's a lesson in that for sure. You teach your children so well that they pass it on to the next generation. And if we don't, our, the next generation that we're teaching, if we don't diligently teach them, they're going to be less fervent in their faith. And then the next generation after that will be a little less fervent in their faith. And so on and so on. The dangers are so high. The dangers are so high. Let's teach our children. Any comments on first nine verses? All right, verse 10 through 19. It shall be when the Lord thy God shall bring thee into the land which he sware unto thy fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that you're going to see all these goodly cities, all these vineyards that are so well planted. Life is so easy. Everything is so fertile. We are so prosperous. And there's two things that will happen. You will either attribute that to yourself or you will attribute that to an idol god. That's what the Canaanites did. They attributed it to an idol god that was 
in favor of them. Verse 12, he says, Beware, lest you forget the Lord who brought thee out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God, and him shalt thou serve, and shalt swear by his name. Now Jesus quotes this in a temptation, Matthew chapter 4, verse 10. He's telling the devil, I, I'm not going to uh, bow down to you, not going to bow down to you and reverence you. I'm going to fear God and him only. This is a commandment that we shall serve and shall swear by his name. This is what we are taught. Jesus quotes that. And notice as he says in verse 14, you shall not go after other gods, of the gods of the peoples that are round about you. So perhaps it is that they look at all these things, all these blessings, this fertile land, these vineyards, these olive trees, and, and how prosperous they are, and would attribute it to the idol gods that the Canaanites did. Beware, lest you do the same thing. Now verse 16, he says, You shall not tempt the Lord your God as you tempted him in Massa. In Exodus 17, verse 7, the people had come out of Egypt and they were thirsting for water. They tempted, they said, we need water, we thirst. God gave them water. But here, looking back on that, he says, you shall diligently, uh, or you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Verse 17, you shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his testimonies and his statutes with which he has commanded you. And this again uh, harkens back to uh, Matthew 4, verse 7, where Jesus was tempted once again and uh, tempted to uh, go from the pinnacle of the temple, allow the angels to take you up. And Jesus said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. And uh, here Moses is recalling that idea. Don't tempt the Lord your God when you get into the land of Canaan. So as we see, uh, we've, he's warning them about attributing the prosperity that they would have to idols. There's a warning here of idolatry itself in verse, particularly verse 13. And then the idea of don't tempt the Lord. Don't uh, say to the Lord, as it were, Lord, we're your people. Do something for us. Show us your power. As if we could call God to... Our, or make God come to our beck and call at any time we choose. Don't tempt the Lord your God in such a way, in such a fashion. All right, chapter, uh, the last part of the chapter, verse 20, when your son asks you, what mean these testimonies and what mean these observances and these commandments that you keep and you observe? How do we answer our children when they ask us such a question? What are they told? Tell the story of God. Tell the story. Go back and tell them. What if it's not a convenient time? What if my children come and ask me questions? They want to know why we do this and that's not. Don't don't ask me uh, right now. I'm busy. Stop what you're doing and talk to your children and answer their questions. Verse 21. Then you will say unto them, We were bondmen in Egypt. God brought us out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand. Tell them the story. 
and tell them, when you finish telling them all these commandments and all these statutes that we do, we go to services three times a week for several hours a week. We protect the Lord's Supper. We do this every week. Why do we do that, Mom and Dad? Why do we, why do, we do that? Why do we protect the Lord's Supper? Why do we sing songs? Why do we listen to preaching? Tell your children. Tell them why. Answer their questions. Verse 24, he says, Tell them about the commandments and the statutes and teach them to fear God for our good. Verse 24, for our good always that we may be preserved alive as at this day and it shall be righteousness. It will be counted unto us as righteousness. If we observe to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as he commanded us. So when our children want to know what we do, when they want to know particularly a question about the Bible, why do we do this? What about this? How do we respond? We answer them, don't we? Answer their questions. And expound on them. So many, so much teaching like that can be done when your children ask you some of the strangest questions. And if you don't know the answer, what do you do? Find it. Say, I don't know the answer to that. Let's study together. Let's look and let's study that together. Let's find out. They will see the diligence on your part, and that in and of itself will be an example to your children. Let's study that together. Let's find out what God says. Let's, let's open the Bible. You're teaching them how to research and how to investigate and learn for themselves what the answer is. So let's, verse 20 through 25, let's answer our children's questions. Any thoughts? Yes. We got one up here. I think the end of the chapter goes back to um, uh, verse six. These words I commanded you, you shall to you today. You shall be in your heart. I mean, if you're going to do the things you just talked about, Brian, you're going to have to. You got to believe it first. You know, if you're raising your kids right, you're raising them to be smart. They're going to spot a fake. Mm-hmm. They've got to see it in you. And I'll go back to uh, verse 4 and verse 5. Emphasize this along with what you're saying. Verse 4 and verse 5, he said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God. If you do it, verse 4, if you, if you do what verse 4 says, and verse 5 rather, then that teaching in verse 7 will come much easier, won't it? We've got to love him. They've got to see it. And then the teaching is so much easier. Yes. Uh, two points. One, uh, teaching your sons and your grandsons, that's, that's your safety net. Uh, you know, if, if your son fails, if your son doesn't follow after God, but you've been teaching your grandson, then you won't have what happens to them in the time of the judges where a generation rises up that doesn't know God. Um, you also have uh, later on... Um, the, the idea of, you know, 
why do we do it now? Why do we take the time? And the reason why we take the time is because if you, if you skip that time, you'll never find a good time. You'll always skip that time, and eventually you will forget. Mm-hmm. And if you don't answer those questions when that, when that child asks the question, <clears throat> they probably won't remember, and we won't remember either, as you said. But strike while the iron's hot is the idea. Strike while that iron's hot, and it, it will be so much more uh, absorbed, I think, when you do it while you strike while they are taught. Do it then while they answer the, ask the question. Very good. Any other thoughts? Okay, it's about time to end. I appreciate your attention and your participation.